Well, thank you to the worship team. Uh, that last hymn maybe is a little bit unfamiliar to some of you, but I think it's a rich hymn and one that I hope we can learn well. We've got the opportunity to read God's Word, which is His covenant Word, His legislation to us, even as He rules over us. He is our Lord, our Master, and our Savior. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke, Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 15. You can look in your pew, the blue pew Bible in front of you in pages 864, 865, I believe. I'm going to ask everybody to stand as we read God's Word together. Luke chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1, this is God's Word. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had, had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him, what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'm going to invite you at this time then to pray with me as we consider God's word together. 
Almighty, holy, and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you now and we do ask that you would attend us as we have read your word, as we have meditated even upon the work of Jesus Christ, atoning for sin, and the summons to all people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would plant us by streams of living water. We pray that we would yield the fruit that is due in its season. We do thank you for the fruit of repentance in our lives, for the fruit of good works in our lives, for those of us who call upon your name. Lord, we pray that you would cause marriages in our midst to grow and to ripen and to mature. We pray for those sufferers, many of whom with chronic illnesses, many of whom are suffering in their relationships, many of whom are suffering with anxiety and fear. Lord, we pray that you would cause them to endure in faith with joy. Lord, we also pray for all those who are in a happy season. They're seeing their circumstances as being very pleasant right now. Lord, we pray that you would help them not to forget you, that they would not forget you in the good times. Lord, we pray that your gospel would spread, that it would spread through the corporate offices of downtown Calgary and spread through the homeless shelters and spread through the soccer fields and and the baseball diamonds, that your gospel would go forth among many. We pray even as this city's enthusiasm for a sports team, it's all of its excitement. We, We pray that even contrasted with that, that there would be great enthusiasm, a new enthusiasm for the message of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Lord, may this city be enthused about that. Oh Lord, we need to know that our sins are forgiven in Christ. Lord, we do pray for churches near and far. We pray for churches in this city like Fairview Baptist Church and Pastor Tim Stevens. We pray for the advance of the gospel in and through that church. We think, as we look west, we think of our church plant in Cochrane, Pastor Jeff Jones and Grace Cochrane. We we pray you'd cause that church to flourish and grow. And Lord, even as we, we look further east, we pray for churches in our nation's capital in Ottawa. We pray for the Met Bible Church. Pastor Jonathan Griffiths, we pray that even as they minister to so many people who work in our government, we pray that you would hold forth your word through that church amongst those people. We do pray for our leaders. We pray for those in Ottawa and Edmonton and those even in City Hall here in Calgary. Lord, we pray that amongst the many politicians and staffers and supporters and all the attendants who work in all these different branches of government, we pray, Lord, that there could be a sweeping renewal, a a great repentance, a turning to you in these corridors of power, as we've come to call them. But you are the power. You are the Lord of all. Lord, we pray that you would grant many ears to hear and eyes to see. And we do ask as well for these folks 
these leaders and for all those around us that they would flee from the wrath to come and that they would turn and be saved. Lord, we know that for all of the things we might give ourselves to, all of the causes, all of the, all of the things we may promote, all of the things we might get excited about, we realize that the most important thing in the universe is your word of salvation given to us even now. So Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name. Speak to us, act, and save, Lord. Save us now. Create and recreate within us new life. Give us hearts of flesh in place of our hearts of stone. Glorify your own name now through your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard people say this. You, you've, you've heard many say this. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you that they're interested in Jesus. They're, they're interested in Jesus. So if you follow Jordan Peterson, that... Alberta philosopher who's gained international notoriety. Well, these days it seems Jordan Peterson is interested in Jesus. You, you get celebrities like a Kim Kardashian who at one point said, yeah, she, she wants to make Jesus a priority. Bob Dylan, Mel Gibson, Justin Bieber... Interested in Jesus, interested in the Bible, interested, you know, they're going to church. They're interested, and then they're not. So they're interested for a while, and then they're not. It's so puzzling. And, and then you find out. Well, then there's people who are, they're leaving the church. They're quitting church. They're giving up on it. And you'll read in the news, seems to come out annually at least, about all of the statistics about churches in Canada, but all around the West. Churches that are in decline, fewer and fewer people going to church. You'll hear in evangelicalism, the term is now, People are deconstructing their faith. People who have said that they're evangelicals following Jesus for many, many years, and then they decide, no, I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. It's all bunk. They're interested in Jesus for a while, and then they aren't. Thomas Taylor, the Elizabethan Puritan, he said, a bad hearer may go very far in Christianity. It's not to say they're a true believer, but you can go in church circles and be a bad hearer, go a long way. As we look at Luke chapter 8 and as we begin this new series, I've been very concerned about this congregation as well as other congregations with the fact that there are still so many people who think they're Christians, but they're not. Or they see other people and they hear, oh, they're interested in Jesus. And they assume that those people 
are saved and going to heaven. And then when they don't follow Jesus anymore, then the person becomes very disillusioned. They're, they're, they're so disappointed. And then they question even their own faith. Even as Luke chapter 8 opens up with this, seri- this group of women, women who had experienced what it meant to have Jesus literally save them, they followed Jesus exclusively, and they are actually our models as we come to the Word even this morning because they, they had this, this urgency in paying attention to what Jesus said. And as I said, even in my prayer, you paying attention to how you hear even this message is it might be the most important thing in your life right now. Because how you hear this message might determine, might reveal, in fact, what kind of soil your heart really is. Well, this passage that we're going to look at from verse 4 through 15 deals with three three different responses that are all kind of similar in one sense. Three different responses to a sermon, to the the Word of God, to God's good news. So there is the prospect, even now, that you are going to hear the Word of God. But how will the soil of your heart, how will it respond? That is what this parable that Jesus told what it's about. There are three types of soil that he gets at, and then the fourth is the distinct one. It is the good soil, as it were. It stands in a class by itself. The three soils are negative. The fourth is the kind of soil of the heart, metaphorically speaking, of the true believer. But let's look at these. And as we look at them, the Word is actually going to to diagnose each soul here. We look first, you look at C in verse 4, you you read it again, this, this instance of what I will call a stolen interest in Jesus. You have it in your bulletin. Chapter 8 and verse 4 again. When a crowd was gathering and people from town to town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, this is the key thing, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now when Jesus explained it then later on in verse 12, as we read, the seed was the word of God, and the birds, as it were, is the activity of Satan. The devil. The devil literally comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So their interest, those folks, their interest in Jesus is literally stolen. It's taken away. Now, the instance of these people, metaphorically speaking, is that Their life is like a heavily treaded pathway, a heavily treaded roadway. And so it's the typical person. It's it's most people in society. They are pounded constantly over and over, packed down and pounded with the messages of the world. 
How do you know it? You're constantly having rolling over you the messages of the godless world with its godless ways, with sinful pursuits, with its meaningless ambitions, and it's just rolling over you all the time, day after day, back and forth, over and over. And you wonder, and I wonder even this morning, why aren't the doors Packed. Why isn't, why isn't there people standing in the courtyard to hear the Word of God? It doesn't have to be me to any, uh, any preacher, all the churches. How come they're not full? How come there isn't more people? Well, it's because they've been treaded on over and over with the messages of a godless world. And so the seed can't take root because of that traffic. So even though a person, maybe they... Maybe they get invited to church, or maybe they hear a, a preacher on, on the radio, or more likely now on the internet. Then they, they hear the word, but, but they're not open to it at all. They're not open. Their heart is so packed down, so hardened, hardened from the busyness of the world, hardened by just worrying about work and the team and the election, and and the next dopamine hit. They're so packed down that the Word then, it just sits there. It just sits there. It doesn't come into their heart. You know, sometimes, maybe even this morning, sometimes one of these folks, they'll, they'll come to a church, come here maybe with a friend, and the friend will ask them, what did you think of the sermon? And what do they say? They'll say, yeah, yeah, he's a pretty good public speaker. You know, <laughs> I've got that one a lot. Well, maybe not a good public speaker. Well, he's okay. But the point is, I'm not, I'm not here to, to show how I can talk in front of people. Why would you care? Why would I care? But the problem is, they don't have the brokenness to receive the Word of God into their heart. They're just so packed down and treaded over. And so what happens? They've had an opportunity maybe to hear the Word. Maybe somebody brought them to church. Somebody give them a, a book or a tract or send them some videos to listen to. What happens? Their hard heart remains hard and then Satan takes the Word away. And then There is no word for them to receive. He steals away the word from the person who needs it most. That's the thing is you you got like people people don't realize, and you might not realize it this morning, that Satan would like to steal the word of God away from you. Satan is your enemy. And Satan is deceiving people all around, not letting them have access to the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon said of this this heavily treaded pathway, he said, The soil of your heart is so hard beaten by continual traffic that there is no hope of the seed finding a living root, root hold. Satan is then constantly passing over your heart with his company of blasphemies and lusts and lies and vanities. 
And your heart is just like those crowded thoroughfares, for so many cares and sins throng it, and so many proud, vain, evil, rebellious thoughts against God pass through it that the seed of truth cannot grow. Unquote. So this is what happens. Then you might be a tired teen, or, or maybe you're one of, one of those guests, those guarded guests that are here. somebody's invited you, maybe your spouse, maybe a friend, but you're guarded. You're visiting the church, or you, you know, you see it, you attend the wedding, you go to the funeral, but you go there guarded. You go there walls up. Walls up, you're guarded, and you're hard. You, you, you'll kind of suffer through it, but you don't actually really want to listen. Like, I've seen so many people like this. And to be honest, before I got saved, that's how I was. Like, okay, I'll go to the wedding or I'll go to, go to church, you know, and then you're fidgeting, you're looking at your watch, I'm getting up to go to the bathroom, what else can I stare at? What am I going to, you know, I'm going to look at the fans, whatever, anything to distract you from listening to the Word. And all the while, your hard heart, Satan is ready to snatch the Word from you. And so then you go, and even though you've had an opportunity to hear the very Word of God, it's as if you never heard it. It's as if you weren't even there. It's it's as if you had never been in contact with the pure, miraculous, life-giving power of the Word of God. And so this is what you have to realize, is that Satan lurks unseen anticipating any of your opportunities that you might have to hear the gospel. He is there, and if you aren't open to the gospel, then Satan will happily distract you. He will happily flatter you. He will anger you. Oh, well, you know, preacher insulted my hockey team. You know, whatever, you know, whatever. Everybody's thinking about the team, right? But if you aren't open to the gospel, Satan's going to dull you so that you won't even know that you heard the gospel. You heard it, but you actually don't even know you did because you're already thinking about where you're going to go for lunch. Whatever interest then a person might have had, that interest is stolen. And that's the first soil. And it might be speaking about you. Or it might be somebody speaking about somebody next to you. The second type of soil is the soil not of stolen interest, but what I'll call temporary interest. Temporary interest. And these folks, of the temporary interest, I'd call them the fad followers. These are the people, you'll talk to them and and they'll describe, especially if they're looking back, they'll describe how they went through a phase. You've heard this. They've gone through a phase, a religious phase. Oh, there was a time when I used to go to church. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I took a class. I went to a school. I, I know a little bit about, about church. I know, you know something about the Bible. They had... They had only, though, a temporary interest. Jesus described them in verse 13. The ones on the rock, 
are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. Now what you have to understand is when Jesus is referring to their belief, if their belief does not result in lasting fruit, it is not true belief. But these folks are different. They're not resistant. They're open. They're open. The trouble is they're open only so far. They're open only so far. And and so they're open to Jesus like maybe someone might be open to trying a new restaurant. Oh, I'm open. Yeah, sure, let's go. You know, open to... uh, you know, trying a, trying a new game or trying a new hotel. Yeah, sure. I, I'll try it once. Yeah. You try it and then, well, oh, like it. Yeah, I don't like it. I, try, I, I tried that restaurant. I tried that hotel. I tried playing that game. I tried that hobby. And then they move on from it. They're open to Jesus in the short term if it gives instant results. That's what they're looking for. Instant results. And so, the, so they can be really excited about Jesus because for a short season, maybe with Jesus, everything goes on swimmingly. It goes on great. Oh, Jesus, everything's, everything's, everything's going good. It's kind of like, you know, the reverse country song. You know, you get your girlfriend back and your dog back and the truck back and your job back. You know, Willie Nelson sings happily, insisting that the world keep turning our way, and our way is on the road again. You know, is that how it is? Oh, Jesus is great, so long as the world is turning my way. It's going my way. And you find a lot of people like that. And so Jesus then is reduced to being a magic potion that they sell on TV late at night. And when it instantly works, it seems, then people are instantly happy. But it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And such people then are only fad followers. And when the fad passes and the effects kind of dry up, then so does their devotion. And it shows they actually didn't have a true saving faith to begin with. And, and so this becomes the great problem with churches that have basically given up on God's miraculous power and they just want these fad followers. And you have churches that actually have devised techniques so that that's all they're going for. And so they got techniques. They want to make Jesus then the source of, and you've heard of this, your best life now, Joel Osteen. Your best life now. Well, they, he's, just, he's just wanting to create fad followers. You know, Jesus, Jesus gets you higher than anything else. That's, that's just, you know, your temporary interest. Jesus makes you healthy and wealthy and wise and pretty. And then if you aren't, oh, I guess, I guess Jesus doesn't work. Or as the farmers say, I guess it didn't take. It didn't take. It just kind of came and went. It was a phase. 
See, these folks are rootless. Their hearts are still hard. And they don't really want all of Jesus for all of their life. And the trials come, right? The trials, they will come. See, the thing is, suffering, I prayed about it, suffering for the believer is a feature, not a bug. It's a feature, not a bug. We think, oh, well, why, is it, why am I suffering? This shouldn't be happening. There's a glitch in the system. I'm suffering. Oh, no, 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 no. Paul, Paul said, it has been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake. Both are a gift, the faith and the suffering. And that's the test. Otherwise, you're just, you're just a fair-weather Christian. Oh, the sun's shining. I love Jesus. Clouds come. Eh, I guess I'm going I'm to move on to something else. Jesus said it specifically as Matthew records the same parable in Matthew 13, that when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, it immediately, he falls away, Matthew 13, 21. See, you can watch this in real time. You can see it with people. Someone who is then eager for Jesus, they get these positive results, but as soon as following Jesus is the source of tribulation and persecution, then they ditch Jesus. They ditch Jesus. And suddenly then, they go from being interested in Jesus to not being interested in Jesus. And then they start, this is what they do, they start looking at things that are adjacent to the Christian faith. What do I mean by that? Well, it's all these other pursuits. So normally what people will do, it's a very common thing, they'll, they'll lose confidence in Jesus and they'll turn to politics. Or they'll focus on their family. Suddenly, oh, family stuff. Oh, we, sorry, we, we, we can't make it to church because we're doing family stuff Sunday morning. And then it's focused on the family. And, it, and then they look at all these other activities, all their other pursuits. Maybe then suddenly, oh yeah, sorry, I, I can't make it on Sunday. I, you know, I'm, not as, I, I, I'm, I'm doing some community stuff, community service. All these things that might make their life better, but they don't include suffering for Jesus' sake. And then years later, years later, you'll talk to them, you know, as they, as they get older, and you will talk to them, and they will say, yeah, I used, I used to go to church once. I used to go to church 20 years ago. But it was just a phase. They had only temporary interest. And that's the problem then. There's no root. There's a phenomenon called revivalism. Revivalism. And, and it's been used to describe the way that probably for about 150 years, many churches have used techniques to try to get quick decisions out of people, quick decisions for Jesus, and it makes everybody feel good. Look at all these people that are getting saved. But often the case is, 
whether it can be at a vacation Bible study or at a tent meeting or a crusade, often the case is you have people that are interested in Jesus just for a moment, especially an emotionally charged moment. And they will say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I'll raise my hand. But they actually don't really want to follow him forever. They'll follow him because it makes them feel better in that 20 minutes. And that's a great problem. Then you have all kinds of people without any kind of enduring devotion to Jesus. The second one I was just going to mention on this this theme is that right now there are mission agencies. I just found found out about this when I was at this uh, Pastors Network event down in the States. There are mission agencies now that are committed to what are called rapid rapid multiplication movements and they want to go into a country and basically what they're doing is they want to get as many people to have interest in Jesus temporarily as they can and they want to spread that as fast as they can but what happens to those countries the temporary interest passes and then you've got whole people groups who say yeah we tried Jesus yeah, we're, we're on to the next thing. And you've actually hardened them to the true gospel. So this is a great concern. And I've got to ask you then as you're sitting there, are you a fad follower? Are you here because it's, it's working for you now? But as soon as it starts not working, then you're going to go on to the next thing. Are you being tempted to move on to the next thing, to something adjacent to Jesus? Well, that's a great temptation for us all. Now, at last on this point, I'll just say, it's just a word to friends and family who are following Christ. You're, you're Christian believers, you're following Jesus, but you're thinking about those that you love that are in your pew or in your family or in your extended family or your neighbors or whatever, and you, you see them have an interest in Jesus. And then what are you tempted with? Well, you want to be encouraging, be so, be encouraging, but be careful. Because sometimes we'll be so excited that a loved one has an eagerness about Jesus that we'll assume, oh yeah, they've got a saving interest in Christ, they're good. They're going to heaven and I can just let out that, ah, they're going to heaven, I don't have to worry about them. Great. Just because they've shown some interest in Jesus. But it isn't necessarily the case. We have a great temptation to do this with our children, parents. A great temptation just to get them to say some words or to pray a prayer so that we can affirm that they are going to heaven. But you've got to be careful with those affirmations because there might be only a temporary eagerness that passes. What's the answer? Well, we just want to keep pointing people to Jesus no matter what. Because their temporary interest might quickly fade. But if we point them to Jesus, then they'll still see that they need to keep looking to Him and follow Him. We'll trust the Lord for the results. But if you don't, if you give people false assurance, then you're, you're actually giving them the worst gift of all, which is a false assurance that they're going to heaven, and it's giving them a lie in their right hand on the way to hell. So it's an awful thing, and, and it's probably one of the greatest things that grieves me about so many of the churches. They've got good intentions, 
but they're actually aiming at having a whole bunch of temporary interested people who are going to hell instead of actually doing the work of pointing out Christ who is Lord and Savior to follow him exclusively. We want to follow Jesus in a loving and honest way, not just have a temporary interest. So is that you? Temporary interest? Maybe somebody's drug you here and you've had temporary interest and it's faded and now you're, somebody's drug you back here. <laughs> Don't miss the opportunity. That's what i got to say to that. But, but nevertheless, we see then these different kinds of hearers, the different soils in the heart, the stolen interest, the temporary interest. But now the third one is the cluttered interest. And this is a challenge for any of us. Why would I say cluttered interest? Well, because Jesus says, as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by what? Cares, riches, and the pleasures of life. And their fruit doesn't mature. Or as Matthew records Jesus saying, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The, the fruit, it's not lasting fruit. Now, again, in this instance, you have someone, this is describing someone who appears to have an interest in Jesus. They, they look like they got an interest. This is not someone who's in that seemingly quick, excited about Jesus and not, then not phase. This is someone who has, seems to be interested in Jesus over a longer term. The difference is, this person, their interest in Jesus is not exclusive. They're interested in Jesus... But he's just one competitor among a number of competitors for our attention. See, the trouble is, Jesus can't compete with the cares and pleasures of this life. Not because Jesus is weak, far from it. But it's because Jesus cannot because he is in a class by himself. He has no competitors because he is incomparable. And so when we reduce Jesus down to one other interest among many, we are treating him as if he is a Jesus that is different than who he truly is. So that person, they've got an interest in Jesus, but they place Jesus down at the level of all their other interests in their lives They've then reduced Jesus to just one cool pursuit among many. And this one's tough. It's, it's difficult. Because this is where you can see a person who, who goes to church for years. It's not just a phase. They go to church for years. They seem to be in the church. And yet there's always this competition in their life. Their religious faith is just one more competition among many. So they might buy books and attend events and volunteer at the church and do many of the things that they think they have to do and they do all this stuff, but it's really just one pursuit among many. 
and then their career or their attraction to someone, someone outside the bounds of marriage, whether of the same sex or opposite sex, their desire to get ahead in business or maybe their eagerness to get their kids ahead. All of these competitors then, then they just start choking out the competitive interest in Jesus that a person has. And I'll tell you what, this one, this one is where in a church like this, you've got people who have been going to church a long time. One has to ask oneself, is Jesus just one competitor competing interest among many? Are the thorns choking out my true love for Christ? This is also then how pastors and the so-called Christian celebrities, this is how it goes with them. They go from being successful and famous for being a Christian and they go from that to then totally rejecting the Christian faith and being what's called now an ex-evangelical. And often, though, when you look at their lives, when you actually dig into their lives, you see kind of how they were living as this Christian celebrity or as a pastor. You look closely and you see that Jesus had actually become reduced to being just one competitor among many other interests. Maybe that pastor or that celebrity's interest in their status or their success or their, the drive of their lusts or the drive of their dreams, all of their desires. And Jesus is just one among all of those. So the question then to ask yourself, is Jesus part of your life? but not Lord of your life? Really? Because you if you're here, my guess is that you have an interest in Jesus being part of your life. But is He Lord of your life? Are you confessing Him as Lord? That's what we have to ask ourselves. These pursuits and passions, if you have dreams or your career or your lust and they are more important than Jesus, those pursuits and passions will choke out Jesus, in a sense. But it's not even the true Christ. You've got to submit to Jesus' lordship first and foremost. And that, I think, is a challenge to all of us. So to review then, either you're hard and Satan is snatching the word, or or you've had a fad interest that passes, or or you've added Jesus into all of your other passions, but Jesus can't compete. Well, if that's the case, then you're not a true Christian believer. Contrary to what some other church told you, or somebody said, or what you've convinced yourself of, you're not a believer. This is really hard, especially for people who have grown up in the church, and they're just automatically thinking, because I'm around Christians, I must be one. No. You need to be very honest with yourself. But by contrast, there is one type of soil that produces lasting fruit. And it is, I'll call it, the believer's great interest. It is the soil 
without stolen or temporary or cluttered interest. It is the soil that has been miraculously regenerated because we are told that this is the good soil. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil. And you're saying, yeah, but I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. Yeah, right. That's true. So, so it's helpless then. In a sense, it's helpless. I'm, I'm, I'm doomed and damned to be this bad soil. But that's kind of the point. There needs to be a miracle happen in your life where your heart is made fertile. Where your heart is made to be good dirt. And then when you then have interest in Jesus, you're opportunistic, you're, you have a deep interest, a lasting interest, a focused interest, and you keep having it in fruitfulness. You see, this is the heart then that responds to the gospel with, with a deep welcome. You know, it takes every opportunity to receive the gospel. Every opportunity. It's the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6. That person is blessed in that germination of the word. It's a person who, who then hears the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they, they seize the day, carpe diem, they seize it and they forsake all other sin and they take the opportunity, I'm going to repent now and I'm going to take on this kingdom and believe in this Savior now, today. I'm going to take the opportunity. I'm going to receive it. It's the person with that broken, accessible, receptive heart with an exclusive devotion that actually bears fruits in keeping with repentance, Matthew 3.8. That's the true believer. See, this Jesus then is the great interest for the Christian, neither stolen, passing, or cluttered. He is our interest in the good times, but he's also our interest in the suffering. He's our interest during the blessing and the, and the bad times as well. And he's incomparable. He's not a competitor. He's incomparable because he died on the cross for our sins. And through him, our offenses, past, present, and future, all of our offenses are forgiven. They're atoned for. And there's a lot of us here, because I'm getting it from everybody, or a lot of folks, who don't believe that all your sins are forgiven. You think, oh yeah, well, some of those past sins are forgiven, but now it's up to me to self-atone today and for the future. No, you can't. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And how do you know? Because Jesus is risen from the dead and He's alive in heaven, interceding and applying His blood, even as Rob led us through the liturgy, applying His blood to your heart so that when God sees you, He sees the atoning blood of Christ and those sins are still, still forgiven. Wiped away, washed clean. So so what do you do? Practically, so you, 
Okay, maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you've been exposed here today. Maybe you've been exposed and you think, I, I don't think I've got the regenerate good dirt. I think I've been faking it. So is it hopeless? Do you just walk out of here hopeless? Oh, well, I guess I'm going to hell. Might as well quit. No, it's not hopeless. Hopeless. All, all you have to do is pray and ask for the miracle of good dirt. That's the miracle to pray for. It's the miracle of making your heart good soil. So I've got four little prayers here. Ask God first to break up your fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground, Jeremiah 4.3. You need to be broken. On the farm, we would talk about summer fallow. And that would be ground that you plowed up in the summertime to preserve it and keep the weeds away so to be ready for the crop next year. But it's, it's fallow. It lies dormant. Well, you need that fallow ground to be broken up, your heart to be broken up. Put the plow through that pathway. Break it up and be open. You've got to be broken first. Break up my fallow ground. The second prayer is this. Ask God and say, just like the thief on the cross, remember me. Remember me. Me. Remember me. You're asking God, even the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Son, you're asking Him to remember you specifically and to know that then He is accessible and you are accessible to Him. You want this personal connection. Ask Him to remember me. Thirdly, like the man who asked Jesus to heal his daughter, you need to pray, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. You got a rocky, stony heart? Lord, do the miracle. Help my unbelief. I can't make myself believe. I need you to give me a believing heart. Mark 9, 24. So you're not only broken and accessible, but you're receptive. And fourth, you need to ask God and pray, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name, Psalm 86, 11. That's exclusive. I'm not going to have my heart chasing all this other stuff, chasing the dreams, chasing the aspirations, Give all those dreams a funeral. And instead, unite my heart to fear your name, to have my attention on your name, to focus on your name. My hope is that this simple message, it's one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, my hope is that it's been a little bit unnerving for you. Because it's a, it ought to be unnerving to encounter the Word of God. But just like Jesus' stated purpose for the parables, as he states later on in the chapter, the whole point is so that seeing you may see and hearing you may hear. And if you have then heard and not actually really understood, or you have seen in the Word, but you don't really know what's going on, the Lord is actually doing a great sort, even through this message. 
As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The parables, like all heralding of the Word of God, it does that sorting work. It distributes and it splits. But the miraculously regenerated good soil, it believes fruitfully. All other natural soil, it stays unregenerated and unfruitful. And the one goes to heaven and the other goes to hell. But maybe you're sitting there and as I close, you're despairing right now. I'll tell you, the despairing is actually better than not caring. But if you're despairing that you're the wrong soil, that your heart is the wrong kind, what can you do? Basically, if you can't come to God with a good heart, you have to come to God for one. You have to come to God for one. You don't have a good heart. Your heart's stony. I've got to come to you. And as the prophet Ezekiel said, God will replace the heart of stone and give you a believing heart, a heart of flesh. You can pray that. You can ask God, even this God that you hardly know, you can ask him to change your heart. And if you do so, then you will be the good soil and you will bear fruit because the word will bear fruit in your life. It will deal bountifully with you and you will be a fruit-bearing person and Jesus will be your ultimate interest. With that, my prayer is that God would create good dirt through the word of the gospel in your hearts today, replacing hearts of stone and that he would perform that miracle in your soul even now. Let's pray together. Almighty God, I ask that there would be deep repentance clarity and a turning away from sin maybe even for the very first time and a turning to you with no phoniness and a belief in Jesus Christ and his saving blood O Lord save and grow in the good dirt we pray in Jesus name amen please stand as we respond to the true and living God, the one who saves our Lord and Savior. Please rise. If you've been troubled in soul this morning, don't leave here without taking the opportunity to deal with your soul before the Lord. And there's people to help you. I'm here. Elders are here. Any of the guys that led in the service here, people in your own pew might be here. But don't miss the opportunity to flee to Christ and trust that even as it might seem hopeless, God can do a great work, even as was prophesied through Ezekiel. This is how we might be thinking. We might be saying, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. But God said, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live.
It's a miracle to be converted. He will do that miracle in your life, even today. Look to him. Ask for the good dirt. Go in peace. You're dismissed.